Good afternoon, everybody. I'd like you to imagine for a moment standing with your family, coming back more than 1,900 years ago, the Beis Amigdash that was once the beautiful edifice and center of Jewish life is now burnt to a crisp. It's reduced to rubble and you're standing there with hundreds of thousands of other Jews not knowing what's next. Where do we go? What do we do? Imagine standing there in a small village in Yemen going back to the 1100s. You mentioned today in Chumash the Omachad persecution and you're living in a time and place where a Jew is looked down upon, you're despised, you're ridiculed, you're afraid to practice Judaism in the open, but there's no future, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. We're living in this small village in the middle of nowhere. Where do we go? Imagine being the father of Rav Yosef Karo. Rav Yosef Karo, one of the greatest Torah personalities of all time, he was born in 1488. He left with his family when he was four years old as the Jews were kicked out of Spain. Imagine being the father of, of Rav Yosef Karo, holding him in your arms as you're about to board the ship, having no clue what the future holds. Imagine standing in Germany in the 1800s. The early 1800s in Germany was a tumultuous time. From the year 1800 to 1810, one-tenth of the Jewish population in Germany converted to Christianity. That means your family, your friends, and many of them officially converted. You're living in a time during the beginning of the reform movement where people were ashamed to speak about yearning for Zion. The whole notion of davening to return to Eretz Yisrael. We can't speak about that here in Germany. It's an affront to the motherland. It's a chutzpah. We have to have appreciation for the country that's embraced us. And therefore, any mention of Tzion, any mention of Yerushalayim or yearning for the return to Eretz Yisrael, that was taken out of the Siddur. We don't daven for that. Berlin was called the New Jerusalem. Imagine being an authentic Torah Jew living, living in Germany in 1804, seeing all this around you, seeing the assimilation of your brothers and your sisters. Where do we go from here? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? Imagine Loelenu standing in Auschwitz in 1944, experiencing a living Gehenna, seeing the destruction of millions and millions of Neshamos. Now imagine during all these different situations, from more than 1900 years ago to not that far back in history, Imagine if somebody was standing right next to you, a friend, a parent, a sibling, 
and they were to whisper in your ear. Right now it's hard to believe, but there will come a time that we'll be back in Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael will be the center of Limud HaTorah for the world. Imagine telling that to someone living in Germany in the 1800s. Imagine hearing that standing in Auschwitz in 1944. We say it in davening, we kind of believe it, but come on, it's not real. When are the Jewish people going to get back there to Israel? It's not really going to happen. We daven for Mashiach. Is Mashiach actually going to come? Do I really believe in it? Kind of. Oh, we daven for it. We daven for Yerushalayim. Is it really going to happen? No. Rabbi Vadi Yosef has a tshuva where he speaks about the present situation in Eretz Yisrael. The tshuva goes back probably 30, 40 years. And he says, although there are definitely things that we have to work on and we're far, far away from the ideal state of Jewish people, but there's so many amazing things happening in Eretz Yisrael. The fact that we have yeshivas with tens of thousands of people learning full-time, yeshivas that we haven't seen since the days of Bavol. We're told that the, uh, the yeshivas in Sura and Pupadisa and Nardoi, they had tens of thousands of Talmidim, but that was a thing of the past. We haven't had that in 2,000 years almost. Now we have that in Eretz Yisrael. The Gedolei Ola the greatest Torah personalities of our time, that's coming from Yerushalayim, that's coming from Bnei Brak. We're living literally in an open miracle. We ourselves in our lifetime didn't necessarily experience so many millions of Jews going back to Eretz Yisrael, but it wasn't that long ago. I want to share with you a couple of amazing miracles that have taken place over the last 50 years or so as we've been in Eretz Yisrael. Just to focus on these for a moment, to appreciate the Yad Hashem, to appreciate Hashem's Hashkacha in getting the Klal Yisrael back to Eretz Yisrael and protecting, protecting ourselves in Eretz Yisrael. We're now in May 2017. And that means we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War. Give you a little bit of a background. It was May of 1967 that King Hussein of Jordan flies to Cairo to meet with the Egyptian president, Nasser. And Hussein and Nasser were not friends by any stretch of the imagination. But like we've seen time and time throughout history, when we have a common enemy, and usually that common enemy is the Jewish people, we become more friendly. Moab and Midian and many other examples. So King Hussein from Jordan flies to Egypt to meet with President Nasser. On May 28th, Nasser makes the following announcement. And I quote, We intend to open a general assault against Israel this will be total war. Our base aim is the destruction of Israel." End quote. No secrets. No one was ashamed. 
Just like Iran nowadays, they'll launch missiles, and on the missile it will say, death to Israel. Nasser made his goal very clear. President Lyndon Johnson and Prime Minister Wilson, they both urged Israel to show restraint. Don't move too soon. Everyone settle down. Let's not get violent. However, June 5th, 1967, not waiting passively for their destruction, Israel decided to take a preemptive strike. They sent their air force down to Egypt, and the Jordanian, the Syrian, and the Egyptian planes were all there. Now the problem with the plan is, as soon as those Israeli planes get off the ground and they start heading south, so the Jordanian radar would probably pick up on this, and they would send message to Egypt, watch out, Israel's on the way, prepare yourselves. And if Egypt did get that message before we got there, and they got their planes off the ground, it would have been a very, very different story. They had many, many more warplanes than we did. Something strange happened that day, June 5th, 1967. The Jordanian radar did pick up on the fact that the Israeli Air Force was going south, and they did send the message to Egypt. However, Egypt wasn't able to decipher the message in time. Nebuch. They couldn't figure out what the Jordanians were saying. Within four hours, the Israeli Air Force destroyed 452 planes, most of them still on the ground. That was the end of the war before it started. And to keep in mind, my parents told me about this time. They were living in California, and they were doing different things, different organizations, sending food and help to Eretz Yisrael. They themselves wanted to go and, and be helpful during the Six-Day War, but it was too quick. The Israeli government set up national parks for cemeteries. They were digging graves, Yomam Velayla, to make sure they had enough room to bury all the casualties. Because the assumption was that through the onslaught of all the Arab nations, we would have easily 10,000 people destroyed and killed. They have to have room to bury them. Within the first four hours of that war, Bechaste Hashem and Nisim Guluyim, it was over. Now, right away, we send word to the Jordanians that you really have no chance, and uh, we're willing to stop right here and now. If you don't attack us, we'll call it a day, game over, and that's it. However, King Hussein, first of all, getting wrong information from Nasser. He couldn't help himself, and he decided to have full-out attack. And again, Bechaste Hashem, we were able to push them back, and we regained that day, within six days, we regained the Gaza Strip, we got back Hebron, we got back the massive area that's known mistakenly as the West Bank, we got back the Golan Heights, and most importantly, we got back the old city of Yerushalayim that we lost in the 48 war. My, one of my rebellion in high school would often tell the story this time of year 
that he had a good friend of his who was in the Israeli army in 1967. He was one of the first soldiers to go up to the Temple Mount. And this was as things were settling down. People are looking for any remaining Jordanian soldiers or any snipers that might be hidden elsewhere. And eventually when they felt secure enough, so you heard the, uh, the message over the, the walkie-talkie, Har Habayit Beyadeidu. We have back the Harabayas. It was getting close to sunset, and there were definitely religious soldiers in this group. Imagine what that was like, davening mincha by the Kosel. The first Jew who's been allowed to be there in 20 years. Just for the first time, getting a little bit of the taste. Something we've been davening for for centuries. So the friend of my Rebbe, he said he was davening mincha, and they would do it in shifts, so you'd always have people guarding just in case. He said, as I got to the words in Shmona Esrei, v'tzechazena ineinu b'shuvcha letzion b'rachamim, he broke down. He fell down on his knees to the kosel. He said, I couldn't continue Shmona Esrei. I was just, I was, I was numb for a good five, seven minutes before I could stand up and finish off the tefillah. Instead of an annihilation, Israel won one of the most decisive military victories in modern history. There's a story that the second day after getting back to the Kosel and the Harabayas, the great general Moshe Dayan is walking through the streets of the old city, and he comes to the Kosel, and he takes out a piece of paper, and he writes something on the paper, and places it inside one of the crevices. And there are journalists there, and people are taking pictures. And so as you could imagine, as soon as he leaves, they grab that piece of paper. What did he write? What did he write? Moshe Dayan was not known for being a religious man. On the piece of paper, he only had one line. Me'eis Hashem ha'isazos hi'in defloos be'eneinu. He understood clearly this is the Yad Hashem. There is no way this could happen al piderech ha'teva. Want to fast forward a little bit to the summer of, let's first go to 1991. This is before you were around, but it wasn't that long ago. 1991, we had the first Gulf War. Iraq launches 39 Scud missiles that fall into Israel, many in very heavily populated places. There were two direct casualties from 39 Scud missiles. In contrast to one uh, Scud missile fell in a U U.S. Army barrack in Saudi Arabia, killing 28 U.S. soldiers. 2014, just a few years ago in the summer, we know of the, the amazing uh, Iron Dome anti-missile system that Bechaste Hashem saved likely hundreds or thousands of lives. I want to read to you a first-hand testimony 
of one of the Iron Dome battery workers. And this was, uh, don't have the name of the newspaper, I think it's from the Israel News. This is a direct quote. A missile was fired from Gaza. Iron Dome precisely calculated its trajectory. We know where these missiles are going to land down to a radius of 200 meters. That's very impressive. This particular missile was going to hit either the Israeli towers, the Kirya, which is like the Israeli parliament, the Pentagon, or a central Tel Aviv railway way, station, some place where easily you would have hundreds, hundreds of people affected. We fired the first interceptor. It missed. The second, it missed as well. This is very rare. I was in shock. At this point, we had just four seconds until the missile lands. We notified emergency services to converge on the target location, and we warned of mass casualty. Mass casualty. Suddenly, Iron Dome, which calculates wind speeds as well, among other things, shows a major wind coming from the east, a strong wind that sends the missile into the sea. We were all stunned. I stood up and I shouted, Yeshilokim! A strong wind from the east took that missile that was pretty precisely measured to land in an area of dense population into the sea. Hashem sent a strong wind. These are a few of many, many stories. We see the Yad Hashem in two ways. We see the Yad Hashem in promising, predicting, prophesizing in the Torah that although I will scatter you amongst all the nations, every place in the world, you're going to find Jews. But I do guarantee that I will bring you home. Now, out of most predictions, that's a very, very hard prediction to actually come to fruition. What other nation in the history of all humanity was defeated, exiled from their homeland, and then somehow returned thousands of years later, or hundreds of years later? How many nations experienced that before? It's never happened. The Torah tells us, though, in Parshas Nitzavim and elsewhere, that this is part and parcel of the Jewish experience. We'll be in Eretz Yisrael about 1,200 years. We'll have the Chorban Bayasheni. That'll be a long exile. But eventually, Kadosh Baruch Hu has a Haptacha, there's a promise. You will come back to Eretz Yisrael. And now that we have almost more than half the Jewish population of the world living in Eretz Yisrael, it's hard to believe, but we're witnessing open miracles. And we're witnessing the Yad Hashem and His protection of Am Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael. So if you were that kid standing there at 70 CE, if you were living in that village in Yemen, if you were there in Germany in the beginning of the 1800s where your siblings are converting to Christianity and you're taking out the, uh, any mention of Tzion and the Tefillah, 
Or if you were standing in Auschwitz in 1944, you would not have believed that just a generation or two later, the Jewish people would be experiencing this. So it's definitely Kadai to turn to Kodesh Baruch Hu and say, thank you. Thank you, Hashem, for bringing us back there to Yisrael. Thank you, Kodesh Baruch Hu, Shomer Yisrael, for guarding us, keeping us safe. And we have the utmost bitachan, you will continue to do so. But at the same time, we have to daven, belev shalem, that we know this may be the beginning, but we're far from the end. We're far from the end. There's Torah learning, there's growth. Ravadi in that same tshuva says, even in the Chiloni world, there are so many secular Jews who are receptive, who are coming back to Judaism. There's a ruach, a tshuva in the world. We have the David and Mitzvah Shem that will have the Geula Shalema Bimheira Viyameinu rejoicing together Yerushalayim Habanuya Shkoyach.